0: This morning's scripture reading comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 16. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, when though he was past age and though Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The book of Hebrews answers the question, how do you live a life of faith? In the midst of suffering, how do you live a life of faith in the midst of persecution or or uncertainty? How do you have poise? How do you have power in the midst of storms in your life? And Hebrews chapter 11 shows us a series of case studies that demonstrate lives that have become great, not because of the absence of suffering, but through the presence of it, by faith. And so we've been asking, what does it mean to live a life of faith? And in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, Abraham, uh, one of the great figures in the Old Testament, in all the Bible, Abraham gets a lot of airtime, about half the chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Who is Abraham? In the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, we see that Abraham was comfortable. Abraham was wealthy. Abraham was secure. But when he encountered the God of the Bible... Abraham learned that there were no earthly foundations. There's no such thing as real security. And so he left home. God called him to leave home, and so Abraham left. He left the visible for the invisible. He left what was visibly certain for the uncertainty. He left visible security for the insecure. He left visibly known things in his life for the unknown and he still lived a life of poise, and he still lived a life of courage and power and greatness. How can we do that? How do we do that? There are three ways that this passage teaches us today in in terms of how we can do that. One, you gotta leave home. Two, you gotta look ahead. And three, you gotta consider God who is faithful. You gotta leave home, you gotta look ahead, you gotta consider God who is faithful. First, you gotta leave home. Verse eight, by faith Abraham When he was called to go to a place that he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed and he went. See, he was about to receive it. So him leaving home is not so that he could earn it. It was given to him. It begins, there's a foundation of a grace of God here. And for years, as a result, Abraham wandered. And for a while, he did not even know where he was going. He left home not needing to know, and so he lived in tents. Verse 9 says he lived in tents, and his son lived in tents, and his grandson Jacob lived in tents. They all lived in tents. They all wandered. Why did they do that? It's because Abraham understood. Abraham resolved this. I will trust God's word. I will trust God's word. I can't trust my circumstances. I can't trust my environment. In other words, it's not the environment, it's not the circumstances in my life that will make or break me. It's who I'm trusting. It's who I, be, who I am in these circumstances. We all know this. We all understand this. Abraham realized that if you only make decisions based on practicality, if you only make decisions based on your certainty on things, if you only based your life only on what was visible, you're going to be severely disappointed in your life. Why? Because things will never turn out the way you expect them to. That's a reality. We all know this. We've all experienced this. We know this, and yet we don't apply. We kind of fall for the same trick over and over again. We know this, that you can't base your life on your circumstances, and yet what do we say? If I can only get this job, life will be good. My life will be perfect if I can just get into this school, into this program, if I get this career path, if I get this promotion, if I can purchase and live in this neighborhood, if I can have this woman or this man in my life. And because we're basing our lives on circumstances, there is this anxiety. That's the source of our anxiety in life. We say, I need this. I need that. That's what we say. And so when we base our life on that, we get anxious. We're always wanting security. We always want certainty in our lives. And we work, and we work, and we work. We work hard for it. You know what it means to trust? Do you know what it means to trust, to obey? Do you know what it means to submit? To trust is to not depend just on your rational thinking, just on your rational conclusions in your life, just on your knowledge. To trust, to obey, to submit is to depend on something that is not always based on what is certain in your life. It's based on relationship. Relationships in your life. Think about this. Parents, you would understand. Parents would definitely understand. Your child, he wants to stay up later than he normally stays up to watch TV. There's a show on TV. He wants to stay up late for it. And you say, no. You have school tomorrow. And you know that if he watches this, he's going to be disturbed. And it's not good for him. And so you know to keep him up will do a disservice to him. It's going to make him afraid. He won't be able to sleep at night. He'll be disturbed. And so you say, no. And what do they say? Do they say, okay, and they go to sleep? No. They say, why? Why, why, do I, why can't I stay up? You know, so and so staying up, everyone in school staying up for this, why can't I stay up? What do you say? Do you start to reason with him? You say, well, you see, let me give you this rational explanation as to why. You don't do that. You say, what? I am your mother, I am your father, because I said so. Now, they say, but if you just explain to me, then I'll understand, then I'll obey. Now, if you're a, a wise mother or a wise father, what you'll say is this. If I have to explain to you so that you agree with me and then you'll obey, that's not obedience. That's not submission, you see. Because what you're doing is you're being convinced and you're submitting to your own will. You're submitting to your own cognition. You're, expi- you're, you're submitting to your own desire, your own knowledge, you see that? Real trust, real submission is not. Is based on relationship who it is that you're trusting. And so if your parent says you can't stay up late, you trust, you submit, you obey. And in the same way, God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to leave home. And he did. And Abraham did. He didn't need to know where he was going. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't need to know. He didn't care to know at that point where he was going. Now the world tells us what? Leave, you always pursue what is secure. So you got to, everywhere you are is the least secure you'll ever be. You need to pursue what is secure. You need to pursue, you need to go from a state of uncertainty to certainty. You need to go from a place of insecurity to, to security. And it takes lots of work to do that. But for Abraham, something came into his life that so disturbed him in his encounter with God. He had security, he had wealth. He had culture, he had family. Something entered into his life that so disturbed him in his encounter with God, he felt compelled to leave. He had to leave because he knew, because he heard God's word and he trusted. Now, remember, leaving home back then in those ancient times is not the same as leaving home today. Today, we want to leave home. We can't wait to leave home. In ancient times, leaving home meant death, certain death. And it wasn't just metaphorical. It meant the end of your life. Thomas Cahill, he's, a, I believe, a professor of comparative religions and uh, Western civilizations. He wrote a series of books about the pivotal moments that made up Western civilization, the civilization that we know today, modern civilization. And one of the most important books that he wrote, it was actually the second in a series of books that he had written, it's called The Gift of the Jews. And The Gift of the Jews answers the question, where do we get our modern view of morality? Where do we get our modern legal system, For those of you who are lawyers? Where do we get this concept of law here that we know today? Because without laws, you don't have a society. And if you're a lawless person, then you are not truly desiring to live in line with society. And, and in the book, Thomas Cahill says, when Abraham left home, he was going against centuries of culture. He was going against centuries of what geography had taught him. You never leave home. Remember, there was no internet. There were no cars back then. There was no system of transportation. To leave home is to journey away from everything you knew that was certain. And so to leave home, Cahill writes, that to leave home, he's going against centuries of social norms, giving up identity, literally giving it up, literally sacrificing his status, his self-sufficiency, But after meeting God, something happened. Something happened. The world said, if you leave home, that's death. But for Abraham, Cahill says, to stay home became death for him. Those old foundations. Now, this is a secular professor saying that. These old foundations, Abraham saw through the veneer. He saw what was behind the curtains. We're always today working to get our arms wrapped around the future. We're always thinking about the future. We're always obsessing about what is uncertain in our lives. But Abraham knew that if you base your life on what is visible, you'll be dissatisfied. Because things never turn out that way, anyways. They never do. There has to be something above these questions in our lives that drive our decisions and our actions. That's faith. To leave, to submit, to leave, to submit, to obey, it's more important than understanding everything. It's more important than getting all of your questions answered. We're like the child that wants to stay up late at night, and, and our parents say no. To leave, to submit, to obey is, to, is more important than understanding, than, uh, than understanding everything, than getting all of our questions answered. Now, we believe that we're in an enlightened age. Ever since the 1800s, we've been living in what we know is the age of enlightenment. I came from the French philosophers in the 1800s at the turn of their revolution. And so we believe that, that we live in an era of empiricism. We need facts. We need proof. There's no such thing as a supernatural. And so everything has an empirical answer. We live in that age. So there's an explanation for everything in our lives. And we know that's not true because there's no explanation for racism. There's no explanation for poverty. There's no, sol- you know, there's no worldly solution that we found. Right? Right? There's no empirical explanation for why marriages are broken, right? We need answers. We almost feel entitled today, uh, empowered in our skepticism in our era today. We're empowered in our doubts today. In fact, we honor people for being skeptical today. Our questions make us incredibly fearful, however, don't they? Our questions make us fearful, they make us indecisive. Think about this. Every major decision in our lives requires some form, some level of rational thought. You have to be rational in your thought process for any major question in our, li- in our lives, any major life decision. Choosing a college, it starts very, very young. Choosing a college, going to grad school. Now, if you think about it, if you think back to the, your choice in colleges, And even the process of going into college, you realize, you look back, and some of you, you look back and you say, wow, that was a long time ago. I was so immature. I can't believe that that decision was left to me. I can't believe that, right? And and so, but choosing a college, going to grad school, your career path, buying the right car, buying the right home in a particular neighborhood, choosing your spouse. It requires some form of rational thinking but with the gospel if you begin by asking the same questions that you ask in choosing a career as you ask of God will this rescue me will this help me to improve my life if that's how you go into looking at the gospel if that's how you go into looking at your relationship with God you're not going to be helped you're not going to find answers you're not going to find empirical answers you're not going to find subjective answers you have to begin with an objective an objective reality Is God real? Is his word true? Because if it is, why wouldn't you base your entire life around it? Why wouldn't you base your entire life around him? Now, it doesn't matter if it's practical. It doesn't matter if it's even fulfilling. Listen, I'm a pastor, and I'll be the first person to tell you that being a Christian is not always gonna fulfill you. And I hope that doesn't turn any of you away, but it's the truth. You can't come to Jesus because it just fulfills you, because it won't always fulfill you. I promise you, it won't always fulfill you. Abraham, do you think his life was fulfilled when God told him to leave everything that was certain, that to leave meant certain death? Did he do that because it was more fulfilling? He did it because it was real, because it was real. It doesn't matter if your prayer is going to be answered. It doesn't matter if you're going to find that job. It doesn't matter if you're going to get married. I know these are all questions in our lives. It doesn't matter if you're going to have children or not. You don't go to Jesus because Jesus is going to help you get these things. You go to Jesus because he's real and because what he did was real and he is alive. We serve a living God. That's faith. That's faith. Something so disturbed Abraham, he had to leave. To stay meant death. He was compelled to obey. He couldn't rest on his circumstances. In the New Testament, in the book of John, the gospel according to John, Jesus Christ is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a teacher of the law. He was a Pharisee. He was a respected individual. He was probably wealthy. He was very, very well attuned to the scriptures. And Jesus Christ goes to Nicodemus and he says this. He says, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. I'm paraphrasing that entire chapter. He says, you need to be born again. Now, in other words, what he's saying is, I understand you are Israel's teacher, You are Israel's teacher. You know the gospel. You know the biblical law. But I will tell you this. Everything that you've done and accomplished, everything that you're doing, everything that you have accrued and built in your life, it means nothing. You need to be born again. You need to be made new and so new. I'm calling it being born again. There are people in this room right now that are saying, I'm having trouble making that jump. I can't leave home. It's tough for me to leave home. Maybe we've, been, we've experienced trauma in the church, and it's tough for us to get past that. Maybe it's just so, we're just incredible. We can't believe this. It's just difficult to accept. I can't leave home. I can't obey. What, you, what God often, what I sense that God is asking me to do, I'm having tough, a tough time doing. What you're saying is this. How can I leave home unless I really know where I'm going? I can't see ahead of me how can i leave home unless i really know where i'm headed and if you're saying that god is not your god you know what your god is certainty is your god security is your god unless your relationship with god becomes the single greatest priority in your life until your relationship with god becomes the single greatest priority in your life you're just using god to improve your own circumstances do you see that you know how you know this is how you know when your plans are about to go bad you get anxious when they do go bad you get angry and you blame god and other people and when they when you sense that all is lost you despair there's no hope look at jesus christ What made Jesus great? Because his life went so well, he had so so much faith that his life went well. Jesus' faith took him to getting arrested, tried in a kangaroo court, tortured, and executed. And on the eve before his greatest suffering, in a way he asked, must I go through this? Must I go through this? But what does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus Christ, facing struggle in life, facing uncertainty in life, he said, I will obey. I submit. Must I go through this? Can this cup pass from me? I'm not sure. I know what's going to happen to me, but I'm not exactly sure. And yet, he obeyed fully. What makes Jesus beautiful? Look at the beauty of Christ. You know what makes him great? You know what makes him so kingly? It's not just that he died for you. He died with obedience. He died with integrity. He died with poise all the way to the end. And then he mastered death. He became victorious over the grave. In fact, Jesus Christ became Savior of the world not because circumstances went so well, but because they went so bad. He responded with integrity, with stability, with grace, with poise. Jesus Christ left home you obeyed the greater Abraham Abraham left home God is calling you you must leave home can you go now the second point you don't just leave home you got to look ahead if you rely on circumstantial growth if you rely on circumstantial evidence that God is for you right away you're going to find disappointments in your life if you look at circumstances to determine whether or not God is for you right away you're going to be disappointed for example Lots of people, they want to get married. In this room, there are people in this uh, room, they want to get married, and they say, if I get married, my life will be so different than it is today. But you see, even if you do get married, even when you do get married, there are going to be conflicts that are even greater in your life, and that is right in your bedroom. There will be great conflicts in your life. There's sometimes greater distance in your life. There's nothing more lonely than when you are at war with your spouse. There's greater aloneness in your life sometimes than you've ever experienced before. Because you know why? Because if you, when you rely on broken people to satisfy you, they're also broken. You're broken, they're broken. They're never gonna be able to satisfy you. They're never gonna be able to bring you the healing and the completeness that you desire from them. And so we put all this weight, so much weight on them, don't we? Now, if you say, if I bank on these circumstances happening, uh, I know that they're either not going to come true or they're not going to satisfy. Now, if you say, if I, I know if I, if, I, if I bank on these things, uh, they're either going to disappoint me greatly, right, or they're not going to happen, so I'm going to be disappointed greatly. When you say that to yourself, and you get, it's easy to get very cynical. You become inert, so to speak. I'm not going to let anyone get through to me. I'm not going to let anyone into my life. I'm not going to let anyone move me or touch my heart. I'm not going to fall in love. I don't need anyone. I'm going to become inert. You can do that for a little while, but when you do that, you're not going to become great that way either. You know why? Because on one hand, if you put your heart uh, into anything, you're not going to be great because as they get tossed by the wind, you're going to get tossed by the wind. As they, get, as they fall into the depths, you're going to fall into the depths. You see? You're going to be tossed around. they're going to be suffering and disappointments. But on the other hand, if you choose not to do that, if you choose not to let anybody into your life, if you choose to become inert, your heart will grow very, very hard. And you may become very, very successful in your life, but if there's no love, if there's no compassion in your life, everyone around you is just a tool. You will be alone more than you've ever thought you could be in your life. You will, live, you will be destined for a selfish life. You will not become great. You will not become great. What did Abraham look to? The text says in verse 10, Abraham was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. A lasting city. And not just Abraham, the, the author says they. All of them did this. Verses 15 to 16. If they had been thinking of this country that they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he had prepared a city for them. In other words, immediate joy was not what they were looking for. Immediate peace was not what they were looking for. Immediate rest was not what they were looking for. They were looking for a final place a final place a resting place it's why they were able to leave home because even if they were home they knew it wouldn't it wasn't their home it wasn't their final resting place it couldn't be it was broken they're dissatisfied things don't turn out the way they uh, thought and so to look ahead they knew there was a lasting hope they trusted god's word and it gave them hope there was a certainty to it that was not led by a visible certainty That was not tossed around by their circumstances. There was a security that was not driven by visible security, you see. Where do you get that? Knowing that you may experience loss, knowing that by leaving you are going to be even more broken, knowing that by leaving there may even be hostility and persecution, where do you get that power to be able to speak out against injustices in our lives, in our neighborhood, to speak out or to live with integrity when everyone around you at your workplace is dishonest, to speak out, to speak of abuses in your own family. In order to be good earthly citizens, you have to be willing to sacrifice your reputation, you see. In order to be a good, a truly a good citizen in this world, you have to be willing to sacrifice your status. You have to be willing to sacrifice your resources, There are many of you in this room, I know, because you've been bred in a way. You've been bred to excel. You've been bred to succeed. And so what happens is uh, you've been taught, you've been led, you've been invested in. And so you entered into his, his job, and it doesn't really fulfill you. Your entire career, you've kind of built up, and you've been brought to this place, and you're supposed to be happy—at least, so you believed. You're supposed to be happy, but it's not as fulfilling as you thought. And there 's this kind of guilt you kind of lie you 're in this in this kind of career tension because on one hand you know there is a job out there that, that is more fulfilling for you, but on the other hand there 's this guilt, the guilt of investment of people having invested in you, time investment, career and education investment, people, your bosses, coworkers who have invested in you and so there 's this guilt on one hand, and yet you know that there 's a longing and a yearning uh, that there is something more fulfilling, and yet that thing that is more fulfilling does not pay as much, it's not as respectable in your heart, in your mind, right? It's not, it doesn't do as well for your bank account, and uh, it may help people more. You may actually have been primed for it to some degree, but you don't really want to consider it because of the sacrifice, because of the loss. What would even give you the courage? What would give you the power to go there? Because if all you're doing is hooking into your reputation and your status and your bank account or the neighborhood that you want to live in, you're literally building on earthly foundations. That's where you're looking. It's never going to make you great, you see. Never going to make you great. Because you're settling and you know it. You're settling. There's a fear there. Abraham longed for a better country, he looked ahead. Do you honestly think that he walked, and as he, I'm sure there were times when he walked, and he says, oh, I long for, I remember this. I kind of missed this. But do you think for a moment that he ever turned around and went back? Now, there were times when he had meandered. There were times in his wanderings that he had diverted. And that's why we see throughout the Bible that it's based on God's faithfulness to Abraham, not so much on his faithfulness. But Abraham looked ahead. Abraham looked ahead. He longed for a better country. He refused to give family and culture and ethnicity and wealth and success the kind of voice, the kind of power to rule his life, because he knew if he did that, it would ruin his life, you see. And so he left. None of these things are home. None of these things. Where is your safety? Where is your defense? Where is your home? It has to be found in the Father. Wealth is a good thing. It's good to be wealthy in this country, isn't it? Marriage is a wonderful thing. It's a good thing to be married, isn't it? As difficult as it is, it's good to be married, isn't it? Children, they can be little terrors in your life, right? But it's wonderful to have children, isn't it? Having a home that you can call your own, no matter how big or how small, it's a wonderful thing to have, isn't it? Having a job to be gainfully employed isn't that a wonderful thing to have? To be embedded in a particular culture in your life—all cultures have sins, equally. Not the same sins; they all have merits. They all have brokenness, equally, right? But it's wonderful to be embedded in a particular culture or ethnic ethnic group, right? But none of those things were ever intended to be home. You gotta leave home. You gotta leave home. You gotta look ahead. If you place the weight of being home in anything apart from God, you're going to crush those things, and those things are going to crush you. You see that? You have to look ahead to the true city, the true country. Build, that's the only way. You know, when you look ahead, what is that true country? What is that city with foundations whose architect and builder is God? That's going to be built on real integrity. That's going to be built built on real justice, real peace, a shalom peace. Real selflessness. Real love. You think you're a compassionate person? Build your home on the foundation that is Christ. You'll find real compassion there. You think you're a pretty loving person because you're pretty loyal to some people? Build your foundation on that of Christ, and you will understand what real loyalty is, what real faithfulness is, what real love is. Let that drive your decisions. It doesn't mean Abraham didn't struggle. It doesn't mean Abraham didn't lose out. Abraham struggled. Abraham lost a lot, but he looked ahead. He looked ahead, and it shaped his response to his sinfulness and it shaped his response to his suffering. And as it built in him a greater love and a greater compassion and a greater trust in God that gave him power and it gave him poise. Lastly, how did he do this? Verse 11, by faith, even though past her age and Sarah herself was barren, it enabled her to bear children. Why? Because she, and thus Abraham, considered him, God, faithful who had made the promise. And as a result, from Abraham came descendants greater than the stars in the sky, greater than the sand in the seashore. You see, the emphasis here is not anything Abraham did to have all those descendants. It was built on the promise and in their faithfulness to the promise, beca- not because of their faithfulness, but they considered God who was faithful who had made the promise. Sarah and Abraham, they didn't get strong by looking in at themselves. They didn't get strong by looking at their own faith. They had weak faith. You know, Sarah, at one point Sarah uh, scoffed at God, laughed at God. If you look at Genesis the book of Genesis Sarah scoffed and in, in disbelief and laughed at God. Faith gets the faithfulness of God. You get it. That becomes an anchor to your soul firm and secure. Let the waves come, let the wind come. If you have an anchor, if you have an anchor, it depends on the strength of the anchor. No matter how what comes at you, that ship, that vessel stays put. You see? You can face anything if you have this as an anchor. What are you tethered to? What are you attached to? If it's a person, it's not secure. You know why? Because they're broken. They're going to sink too, you see. We said that before. You're going to get sucked away if that storm comes. You're going to tether yourself to your wealth, tether yourself to your career. It's not good because when the storm comes and your job is on the line and your money and your status and your career, when they end then the anchor breaks, you see. If you tether yourself to your job and your job ends, boom, you're broken. You're going to tether yourself to your children, a big family, that's not good. You know why? Because all of that investment that you put into your children, they're going to leave you. I'm telling you this right now. They're going to leave you one day. It, starts, it doesn't start when they're, like they're 18. You know, we weep when you know, our kids go away when they're 18, they go to college. That's not when it starts. It starts when they go to the mall when they're 12, Okay? They, don't want you to, they want you to drop them off not at the front of the mall, at the side of the mall so that they can walk in and see their friends. I don't even know, what's the logic? I never understood, why do they do that? Why do we do that as kids? But the thing is, that's what they do because they, are, they themselves are in some ways in their maturity, they're distancing themselves from you. They're learning to become independent. They're gonna leave you. In Genesis chapter 15, here's what happens. We're told that Abraham asked God, Here's your promise. How do I know? I mean, you promised to bless me. You promised to give me children. You promised to give me land. Those are the two marks of wealth in his day. You told me that you're going to redeem the world through my descendant. How do I know? And what he was asking was, what is my anchor? What can I tether myself to? Because I have nothing. This land is barren, it's wilderness. I have no children, and I'm old. What he's asking is, what must I do so that I can be sure? That's what religion is. Religion tells you what you have to do to get certainty, to work, to do, to succeed. Then God will be faithful to you. But you see, if you live like that, God will always disappoint you, always without fail. If you're disappointed in God, I'm telling you right now, it's because you're religious. You are merely religious. And God is merely a tool to get you what you want. You're using God. You know why Abraham was doubtful? It's because do you think it's because he didn't trust God? It's because of our nature. It's in our nature. None of us here trust God. Nobody here trusts God. We doubt ourselves, in fact, all the time. We don't just doubt God. We doubt ourselves all the time. Abraham doubted himself. He knew that he can't be faithful. He knew that he's not faithful. And so he says, what can I anger to? If I anger to myself, it's going to break because at the first sign of weakness, I'm going to run. I'm going to run. I'm not going to be faithful. If I anchor myself to this promise, I, see, I look around circumstances, right? I don't see a child. I don't see a child in sight. I don't see land. How can I know? He says, how do I know? Now, we shared this before. But this is so remarkable. We need to share this again. We need to remember this. We need to imprint this into our hearts again. God says to Abraham, I want you to take some animals. I want you to cut them in half. I want you to bring a heifer and a goat, a ram, a dove, a pigeon. I want you to cut these animals in half, and I want you to wait. And Abraham, he knew what this was about. This story never gets old because in those days, you didn't have written contracts. It was an oral culture, and so what you did was you cut deals. You reenacted deals There was no written, you you wrote it in blood. You cut these animals in half. And Abraham knew because he was a merchant, he was a businessman, he understood what it meant to make a deal, to cut a deal, that's what we called it back then. So what you did was you you cut these animals in half from head to toe, laid them along the side of the road, and you walked between the pieces of these halved animals. You literally cut these animals in half. You walked between the pieces. Why? Because you were reenacting what happens if you disobey. You are reenacting what happens. You are reenacting the curse. You are reenacting the sanctions of the contract if you violate your portion of it. What you're saying is by walking through the pieces as you, as you uh, reiterate the terms of the contract, the terms of this deal, what you're saying is if I don't keep my end of the covenant, may I be cut off, may I be torn to pieces like these animals. This is the curse. That's what it means to be cursed. In a community-oriented society like Abraham's, in an ancient community where your culture, your ethnic group, your tribe, your clan, that meant everything to you. To leave them meant death. In that community-oriented society, to be cut off from your community is to lose yourself, to lose your relationships, to lose love, to lose your life. So Abraham knew what was at stake. What he thought when God said, cut these animals in half, what he thought was, or to to bring these animals and cut them in half, what he thought God was saying was, I'm going to make you another deal. I'm going to tell you what you need to do to be secure. That's what he thought. That's how we so view God. We make deals with God. God gives us terms that we can't possibly obey, and so we work and we work and we work and we work and then when things don't turn out the way we expect, and they never turn out the way we expect, we established that earlier, we're disappointed in God. That's why God will always disappoint you if that's the way you view God. That's religion. It's not going to solve your problems. Abraham, he cuts these animals in half, and he waits. What happens? We're told a thick darkness came down. This is Genesis chapter 15. A thick darkness comes down and a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appears and passes through the pieces. It was God. God passed through the pieces. God was saying himself, my promise is sealed in blood. That's why the animals have to be cut. There's blood. Imagine the blood being soaked up by the ground. The, the torch passes through. He says, my promise is sealed in blood. If I don't live up to my end of the promise, may I be cut off. Do you get that? This is amazing. This is unthinkable because what God is actually saying is, may I die. May I be cut off relationally, physically, in every way. Do you get that? May I be cut off if you don't receive what I'm promising you. May I suffer immeasurably if you don't receive. May my name be disgraced. If you don't receive, may my immortality become mortality if you do not receive. Abraham began to realize, though he did not completely understand and what we see in full, Abraham began to realize what God is saying is this. Even, Abraham, if you fail, even if your descendants fail, I will pay the cost to fulfill the promise that I've made for you, Even if you fail, even if your heirs fail, I will pay the cost. That's why later on his children are wandering in tents. That's why later on their children are wandering in tents, as we read earlier. Of course, Abraham had no idea what it was actually going to cost God, but we know with certainty. If you want to be certain about anything, This is the one piece of certainty you need. Jesus Christ left home. He obeyed. It's the reason why, you know, the reason why we just need to know the future. We just need to know. It's because we're afraid of the worst thing that could happen to us if we we do something, right? That's why we're constantly trying to figure out what the right decision is. Jesus Christ left home knowing. He obeyed knowing that the worst thing that could ever happen to anyone, he would experience. Hell separation from God, that it would happen, and he still went. He still went. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 8. It's about Jesus. He was cut off from the land of the living. He was stricken for our transgressions, our sins. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, what's going on here, what he means is, the son has now been cut off from life from the father but the father himself was cut off from the son the trinity was torn like these animals you see if jesus christ took our penalty if he became the curse then it means he must have been cut off from the father that's hell hell is to be cut off from the father Complete separation from God. I have been forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Trinity was torn apart. And yet he did it. He went willingly, not knowing if he would come back, not knowing where it would take him. Why? Because he loved the Father. He trusted the Father. He said, my God. He still said, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me, you see? Jesus Christ is the greater Abraham. And so he went all the way to bring us to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Do you know this? Do you know this? You know, on the cross, do you know? On the cross, there was an earthquake. What that meant is the ground wasn't stable. There was no earthly foundation for Jesus even as he was dying. Do you see that? To the end, he suffered the quaking of the world so that you, ult- you would be able to rest on the ultimate foundation of Christ. Whose architect is the Father. That's what's going to give you power, regardless of circumstances. Because even if you don't know where you're headed, you will know where you're ultimately headed. And especially if you know and trust that the one who went out to ultimately he went out to the ultimate unknown, to the ultimate hell, he was cut off for you. Why are we often afraid? We're often afraid, because if we get lost along the way, what's going to happen is you're going to start to be filled with regret. And regret is why. I gave up so much to end up here, to only end up here. I gave up my community, I gave up my family, I gave up my friends, and you're all you start to look back. Abraham looked ahead. That's the way you live a big life. No regrets, no guilt, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the life of Christ in me. You know that hymn? No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the life of Christ in me. You need to study that. You need to memorize that. You need to know this until it bursts you into a poise that you've never had before in your life. It is a supernatural thing. You cannot conjure that on your own. That is what it means to be anchored. The text says, Abraham considered him. Sarah considered him who is faithful. We consider him who is faithful. All you have is Christ. All you need is Christ. Let's pray.